Kubernetes community, and welcome to another episode of the Pod Control Podcast. Uh, on a much more uh, fall-like day, at least up here in the uh, up in the uh, you know Philly area, what's it like down by you? It is. Uh, things are good. It's um, it's starting to get fall. We get a, we get a little bit of leaves changing. It's it's sort of, still sort of in the fifties and sixties. Um, but uh, I was up in I was up in Minnesota last week. It was already snowing. So uh, <laughs> winter is here for some of you, unfortunately. Yeah, I saw some pictures even from Denver that were getting some snow as well. I was like, Ooh, that is that that seems early. Yeah, exactly. So if you know if you if you choose to live there, good luck to you. I, I hope you have a good coat. So yeah, we, we've got a ways to go before it gets too brutally cold. Although we did we did make some fires in the fireplace this weekend, which was nice. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was the same thing. It was the first time the heat was on and uh, and had the fireplace on. Yeah. So so. Um, you know, this week we, you know, we 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 always try and find a find a, a balance between how much sort of Red Hat OpenShift or Red Hat technology stuff we talk about, and and how much community stuff we talk about in this show, and and hopefully we find a good balance. I know we've gotten feedback from from lots of different people, uh, you know, kind of on on both sides. Um, this week we're going to talk a lot about Red Hat stuff. So this one is going to be very OpenShift specific, um, both in terms of new releases and as well as some new offerings. So uh, just sort of know that ahead of time. Uh, this is this one's going to be very OpenShift specific, but we'll kind of talk about it, obviously, in the context of, of what it's doing, um, you know, with, with a lot of specific Kubernetes technologies. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, we, we try to be as mindful as possible. Um, you know, while while Red Hat's our employer at the same time, you know, there there's, you know, so much broader things happening in the Kubernetes community that we like to keep up on. Um, but every once in a while, it's good to uh, just kind of give you an up-to-date on the stuff we kind of work with day-to-day. Right, right. So I think the first thing to talk about is, um, you know, as, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, Kubernetes had a new release, um, OpenShift 3.11 released last week. So, uh, you know, the the alignment of, of OpenShift to Kubernetes is always the, the dot number is the release. So this is the uh, 3.11 release, which aligns to the 1.11 Kubernetes release. Yep, so, so anything... Uh, for the most part, you'd expect to find in in that based on the 1.11. Um, we obviously do make some decisions based on the things that are in there that we may say, hey, you know what, that's that's still beta, it's not stable, but but we're really comfortable with it, and we're gonna you know we're gonna make that GA and and support it. Or you know what, that that thing's not ready yet, so we don't want that turned on, uh, even though it is available in this release. Right, right. So yeah, so always check the release notes. I mean, it, you know, a general rule of thumb is. Uh, OpenShift doesn't typically enable like the alpha bits, the things that are in sort of alpha or, you know, tech preview. I forget what the Kubernetes community always calls it, but, you know, think about it as the, the earlier stuff, uh, beta stuff, like, like you mentioned, um, some of it will, will get in because we've been hearing demand from customers for a long time and, and we'll step up and do, uh, kind of GA support on it, even though it may be beta in the community. And, and in other cases, um, the technology is there, but maybe we haven't turned it on by default because it's still kind of an early beta. But, uh, but yeah, it, you know, in terms of what's in there, you know, if, if you're looking at the one eleven release, um, you know, all of that should be, should be in there. And, uh, and then there's, you know, there's typically going to be more things, um, that we add in, uh, for usability and support and, and a lot of other things, uh, in the three to three eleven release. Yeah. And I, I think overall from like a theme perspective, like if, if someone said like high level, what's the theme of this release? Um, I would I would say CoreOS, right? So the the CoreOS acquisition early this year, um, and the integration work between them. We've talked about it before around Red Hat Summit, kind of what the plans were, uh, and this is you know kind of the rubber meeting the road. So some of the things that existed in Tectonic um, that are now brought over to um, you know that are now brought into OpenShift, and some of it even just uh, concepts and and 
and technology and some of its actual UI pieces. Right, right. So yeah, I think you're right. That's that's the big theme. Um, I think the way to think about it is probably about 40%-ish of, of the CoreOS kind of main technologies are, are in the 3.11 release, uh, and the rest of them will be in the next release, um, which... Uh, for those of you keeping track, if you if you weren't paying attention, say to Red Hat Summit or some other things, um, the next release we're going to call OpenShift Four. Uh, we've talked about that a bunch, uh, you know, with, with customers and, and publicly and so forth. So that that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. But that's really that's going to be the first release that will kind of incorporate all of the things from the CoreOS technology. But uh, this one this one's got a bunch of really cool things that people have been asking for um, that are you know going to be a mix of of the CoreOS technology and then the things they they sort of know and love from OpenShift. Yeah, yeah. And I think the first one that sort of jumps out to me is on the those UI elements. Um, so if you if you're familiar with OpenShift, um, you know, we have our own uh, interface console besides just the, you know, the, the, the basic Kubernetes ones, which has a lot of a lot of stuff in it. Uh, it was always very developer uh, and user centric, uh, and less, I would say administrator uh, centric. Uh, so, you know, what is my cluster doing? What's the health? What are my nodes doing? Those types of things, capacity planning, uh, and which something that Tectonic had a really good one of those for. So so that's something that's that's been brought into OpenShift as of 3.11. Right. Um, and one of the things that comes up all the time is, uh, you know, obviously there's a there's a bunch of of uh, admin controls and, and sort of SSO RBAC controls around who gets access to the user, uh, you know, kind of the console user interface, but also, you know, the projects that are in there, resources and so forth. Um, the new sort of cluster console, or think about it as operator console, um, will follow the same RBAC pattern. So if you're if you're thinking about this, um, you know you could have some users, uh, you know maybe the platform team who's going to have access to both the developer console, you know UI as well as the operator UI. Uh, but but we expect to see you know sort of RBAC and, and some admission control used to to then limit you know who's going to have access to the operator console. Uh, what they're what they'll be able to do, just like you would expect from from any sort of uh, any sort of console, and and who's going to have access to that? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's you know kind of one of the the key things as we uh, integrate things with Kubernetes in OpenShift is you know since you know we were really involved in the RBAC thing early on is you know kind of making sure that flows through the entire project as as I would think as a you know consumer of the platform would expect where you say well, like well cool, you have a new thing. Like, can I assign a role of people who can or can't use it? And and the answer is generally yes. Right, right. Um, You know, I think the next thing people are going to see as they look at this, and again, you know, we're always trying to find that right balance between, uh, you know, how much do you give and and enable developers versus how much do you enable for the operations team? And and obviously, we'd we'd love to give them both the best of everything. Um, You'll see by default, uh, Prometheus is now at a at a cluster level, uh, the default for monitoring uh, the clusters and the overall platform uh, metrics is now included in that by default. Uh, previously, we'd we'd use some uh, some additional tools, some additional software to do that um, that you know worked fine. But now we're we're integrating that functionality and again, uh, you know, providing what's really sort of the native Kubernetes tools from the community so that people can feel very very comfortable with those things. Yeah, I, I think that's that's sort of an important thesis or you know kind of idea we have around this stuff is if it if it doesn't exist uh, we need it now um, for our customers we can we can get out there and build it and then continue to work upstream and not just say like well we've made this decision on this so it's final and we, we saw that with a number of tools uh, even I mean go, even going back to RBAC we had our own RBAC system built because we needed it uh, and as we continue to work on it work it upstream 
And then once the upstream one was was viable, it's switching over to it. And and that's kind of thing. We don't we don't carry extra stuff because we we want to. It's because you know we're we're meeting those customer needs. So in this case, it wasn't there was some other all of our other tools we loved. They were just at the time, you know, Prometheus wasn't Grafana and stuff, the way it was deployed with with Kubernetes wasn't as mature yet. Where now that it's gotten there, it's like, well, obviously we want to stick to the same things upstream as people would expect. Right, right. So, um, you know, again, I, I think we're seeing more and more, and, and you know, again, these are the, the platform is building very quickly. The community is kind of evolving quickly. You know, I think we're seeing more and more um, people expect certain things to just be native in the platform. So, you know, Prometheus being there, um, you know, first at the platform level, monitor my clusters and so forth. Um, you know, additionally, being able to eventually tie that into your applications, um, that'll all be there. But it, it kind of follows the same theme as things we're seeing from people saying, okay, uh, we just assume that things like, you know, Istio service mesh and all will eventually just be part of the platform. I won't want to think about it as, a, as an external thing or, you know, some of the K-native stuff eventually would just be part of the platform. Um, this is sort of, you know, the the structure, the framework of getting this in there. Um, and again, the goal is not only just to make it part of the platform, but but to make it take advantage of the technologies uh, like operators that we're going to talk about here in a second um, to make you know, maintenance of the platform is as simple as possible, upgrades as simple as possible. Um, but using native Kubernetes technologies within the platform um, so that, you know, you're really learning one set of technologies, the technologies take advantage of each other. Yeah, yeah. And, and you just hit on, I think, is the, is sort of the next big piece of this is the uh, Kubernetes operators. Uh, we, we've talked about operators before, uh, and this is our developer preview uh, in, in 3.11 of you know like we've talked about we use operators within you know inside the platform that's something you know coming coming over from uh, core os as well to, to operate components of the platform itself um, but this is really taking those operators and and exposing it for uh you know end users to consume and and platform operators to use to provide services to uh, to the user. So not just, hey, we have some operators, including ones from uh, third-party ISVs, as well as the actual operator lifecycle management we've talked about, which you know, allows us to actually install and manage and upgrade those operators and, and all the dependencies they have. Right, right. And, and I think, you know, we announced the operator framework as a fully open source project back in May at uh, the last KubeCon. Uh, you know, at the time, CoreOS had been working on operators for quite a while. Uh, they had them for etcd and Prometheus, and there was some early work on Vault going on. Uh, but we've seen a, a ton of uptick in, you know, sort of third-party ISVs, um, you know, third-party application development uh, groups that that are kind of falling in love with operators. Um, they understand the value of saying, I not only want to package an application, uh, but I also want to build some lifecycle management around it, and I want to as much as possible, make that um, independent of the underlying sort of cloud platform. So they can say, hey, I deployed a Kubernetes, whether that's running in somebody's data center, running on virtualization or bare metal or running in any of the public clouds. Like for for an operations team or an application team, it's going to be consistent all over the place. And so, you know, just, just to jump out, you know, and again, this is in, uh, like you said, developer preview. Uh, but you know, a couple of a couple of companies who who signed up for this to be part of the you know kind of make it available early on: uh, Couchbase, Dynatrace, um, MongoDB. Um, all of those are there. Uh, if you want to play around with those technologies as operators, um, they're all going to be there and, and supported, uh, you know, along with OpenShift as well. So get good chance to get you, you know, not only, hey, can I deploy a new application, but can I do it with uh, NoSQL databases and, and other things like that. Yeah, the, the the real goal is, you know, from a non-technical perspective is, 
you know, making the experience more like, say, AWS RDS, where someone can go in and say, give me one of these. They don't need to know that, hey, when they ask for Mongo, they need this many shards or or whatever. Or if they lose, you know, if one of the components goes down, has it, you know, fix that health wise, uh, they just want to consume it. And then as an operator to be able to, you know, see all the things that are being used and manage them. So um, I think it's really, you know, it's, it's great from a platform perspective, but then, the, like you said, the ISVs are, are super excited about that versus, hey, here's some sort of, you know, say something like a Helm chartware to deploy it. Uh, and then here's a list of instructions how to you know, basically operate it, where those those instructions are now hard coded into the operator. Right. Um, the, the other couple little little points to, to make about the operator support and, and the operator framework in general, um, you will see that uh, uh, Kafka streams um, is part of AMQ. So, uh, just like a while ago, Red Hat had made all of their middleware um, deployable as containers and supported as containers. You're going to see all of the middleware portfolio um, get deployed with operators as well. Again, kind of taking it to that next level of making them simpler to deploy, simpler to operate day one and day two. Um, and uh, the uh, the AMQ Kafka streams is is also part of this this early preview. So it gives you a sense of like both third party applications, but also uh, you know Red Hat middleware, Red Hat uh, application services are there. Um, the other question I heard a few times last week as I was talking to people about about operators is they said, well, hang on a second, uh, you know, where does operators fit along with things like Helm? Uh, because Helm is a way of packaging an application and running it. Um, something for people to look at, and this is in the, sh- this is in the show notes, um, we built an operator for people to plug in Helm charts. So, um, you know, the, the goal, our goal of this is to get you deploying all of your applications consistently. Um, if they start off as a Helm chart, that's fine. There'll be you know, public repositories that'll have Helm charts. You may want to build Helm charts. Um, but the, the ability to do sort of day one plus day two with operators uh, will end up being really important. So definitely take a look at um, kind of the integration between Helm and operators um, that'll be in the show notes as well. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, there's a whole framework, operator framework community and, and a framework SIG, uh, operator framework SIG as well. Um, if you're interested just in sort of building your own operators. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, don't, don't expect that you, you'll only be able to get them from Red Hat. Um, you know, there are literally probably a couple of hundred out there already. Um, we'll put some links to the show notes, but, uh, again, this is an, an independent thing. So yeah, there'll be lots of community support around this. Yep. Yep. So, so the last thing, uh, I think that, that sort of stuck out to me at this release, which really isn't a feature, uh, more of an offering is the OpenShift container engine. Yeah. So, um, you know, OpenShift uh, is deliverable a lot of different ways. Um, you know, you can you can get it as a managed service is what we call OpenShift dedicated. There's a sort of developer sandbox environment called OpenShift Online. The main product uh, has been called OpenShift, plat- uh, OpenShift Container Platform since the 3.0 release. So, um, you know, key on that word platform, uh, the ability to do both kind of CAS features, containers as a service, but also some amount of PaaS features. Um, so again, that that balance between operators and developers and uh, container native code and just code. Um, but what we did hear from the marketplace as we talked to them a lot, especially around the, the CoreOS acquisition with Tectonic, um, is there is a segment of the market that says, hey, um, you know, we appreciate that you provide a lot of this functionality by default for us, but you know, we already have certain things in place that we just want to keep. Um, and in a lot of cases, it was we we already have our development environment. We already have our development pipelines. Um, we don't necessarily want to use certain functionality that's in a uh, container platform. Um, is there a way you could give me 
uh, a version of the technology um, that's already there, but just you know just the things that I want. Um, and that's really where uh, the origin of of the need for um, OpenShift Container Engine, uh, so focus on engine, um, come from. And, and really, it is same technology, um, same bits and, and all, but uh, you know, kind of a more focused around the, that set of customers that said, "I have certain things already in place that I just don't want you to you know to, to replace or, or integrate for me." Yeah, I, th- I think the 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 way I think about it too is we, we with Container Platform. Uh, we would talk to customers. We'd say, "Hey, this is really enterprise Kubernetes plus plus. So you're getting an enterprise grade, you know, Kubernetes uh, distribution. Plus, you're getting these developer tools. Plus, you're getting these other things. There's a lot of other components to it that you're getting to build your entire sort of." Uh, development and platform, um, you know, all the other things you would need. And like you said, some of those, those customers said, well, we don't, we have some of those stuff, those things already that we want to keep using. We just want enterprise Kubernetes. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to, you know, just download it off the internet. Um, so we want a fully, you know, kind of supported enterprise Kubernetes distribution. We just don't want all the other stuff. Uh, and that, that kind of, you know, made perfect sense, especially coming from, I think, you know, as we, you know, brought in, you know, the, all the core OS customers and kind of what they were used to at Tectonic and, and kind of that was a you know piece of their feedback too was, well, we, we have all that stuff built. We just kind of want like what we got in Tectonic. So that was, I think, kind of the idea. Right, right. And, um, you know, one of the questions that comes up is, okay, let's say we, because a lot of times we'll, we'll talk to customers, uh, especially early in their journey. Um, they might be just using the open source bits. They've sort of, you know, what we call do-it-yourself Kubernetes. Uh, they've been playing with it for a month or a couple of months, and they're like, okay, I, I figured out a few things. Uh, I got a few things to work. Uh, I'm still trying to integrate a few different things. It could be SDN. It could be logging and monitoring, whatever. Um, and, and they may have decided in their mind, again, we were interested in in sort of, you know, just Kubernetes, as, as you mentioned, Tyler. Um, in those cases, a lot of times those customers, something like uh, OpenShift Container Engine is sort of the, the perfect fit for them because you're going to get all the support. You're going to get some amount of integration and we'll put up, there's a checklist that we, we put together that'll be in the show notes. You can take a look at it. But then the nice thing about it is in a lot of cases, they'll say, well, let's say down the road, we figure out that we really would like some of that other functionality or we don't want to um, constantly be maintaining all these integrations every quarter as, as new Kubernetes releases come out. If I choose something like Container Engine now, what does that mean for me to get to Container Platform down the road? So talk through a little bit of kind of where the bits align there. Yeah, so so that was, you know, kind of this uh, thought process of, you know, obviously you, you build installers and, and things like that. And, you know, some of the things I think people have perception that, and I think because OpenShift, you know, pre, pre, pre-Kubernetes was, you know, a PaaS um, and, and a lot of PaaSs are pre, can be pretty heavyweight was, you know, it is, it's pretty slimmed down uh, platform and the amount of resources it requires because it's, you know, Kubernetes and all the stuff run, is running in, in containers. Um, so the idea of like, well, how do we how do we offer this engine offering the ability to basically just have the same bits uh, and then you just, you know, turn off those things that you don't, you know, that aren't. Um, you know, that aren't included, you know, without having to say fork it off and, and manage it as a whole separate product, I think was pretty key. And because of that, you know, it's as simple as you know changing the licenses and, you know, the subscription and and turning those features on and starting to use them. It's, you know, there's no reinstall or, or anything like that to, to, you know, continue to consume, you know, the full platform if that's where, you know, you needed to go based on, you know, as you grew. 
Right, right. So yeah, so basically, seamless upgrade path, if you want to go from from engine to platform, uh, you know, I think we found over time that, you know, probably the, the larger majority of customers will, will look at the feature list and say, hey, uh, you know, the things that are in platform today probably make more sense for me just in terms of things I have to integrate stuff I don't want to have to worry about, um, you know, th- things like service catalogs that are going to make it easier for you to if you're like the operations team to to you know, put together some simple packaging that's going to get your developers to want to get onboarded faster. And that's that's ultimately one of the most important metrics of the platform is, are you getting more developers on it? Are you getting more applications on it? So, you know, definitely take a look at it if you're if you're considering one or the other, um, or if you've been saying, hey, look, we're, you know, we're, we're starting off as Kubernetes. We, we know we don't necessarily want to, to do a PaaS because in our mind, that's that's too heavy. Um, you know, w- you know, what if we just want what if we just want Kubernetes? Um, this is likely probably a really good fit for you at this point in time. So um, definitely take a look at that. Um, but yeah, Tyler, I think we hit on most of the things, right? It's, um, you know, it's the the sort of constant cadence of Kubernetes. We're keeping up with that. We've always said that OpenShift is basically going to be uh, typically one release behind, um, you know, the the upstream release. And and quite honestly, I think we're we're seeing that more and more in the industry. Uh, we've been doing it pretty much since day one. Um, you know, some some of our competitors were like, "Hey, we're always going to be compatible with the upstream." I think the reality is it's a hard thing to do. Um, and we're seeing, uh, you know, Google still hasn't released a one or eleven release. Uh, Amazon Azure hasn't released a one eleven release. A lot of, you know. Azure, I'm sorry, AWS has not yet. Azure has, um, but you know, as you as you add more customers, or as you deploy to more regions, or if you've got more clusters, or there's just more functionality you're putting in, it's not unusual to have a, a longer release cadence, and and people expect stability uh, sometimes more than than just uh, speed of deployment. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, you know that's just a sign of maturity. I think of the, both the the user base and then also the community as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so folks, definitely take a look at it. There'll be a lot of things in the show notes in terms of links to um, some some announcement blogs that have a lot of details in there. Uh, there's some videos that people have put together of you know what does the new operator console look like, operations console look like. Uh, there there's some uh, blogs and, and details in there about you know how to build an operator, how to integrate operators with Helm and so forth. So definitely take a look at it. Uh, again, you know we keep coming back to this is this is sort of the first you know, third or 40% of the, the core OS integration, the next release of OpenShift will have the full integration. Um, but this definitely gives you a very good flavor of how we're making OpenShift simpler, um, how we're integrating native Kubernetes technologies all over the platform, as opposed to sometimes having some uh, some technologies that were built not for containers, but you could make them work. And uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. If you're, you know, if you're if you're looking at it, if you get a chance to play with 3.11, if you get a chance to play with uh, with OpenShift Engine, um, or just in general, if you you know, you'd love to give us some feedback on um, kind of you know where you need functionality above and beyond just core Kubernetes, uh, you know, sh- shoot us a note, uh, podctl at Gmail, hit us up on Twitter at podctl. Uh, you know, love to kind of get your feedback on on this this segment of the market and and kind of where you're using Kubernetes and where you're using things above and beyond Kubernetes. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, it, it's really fascinating to see how people are, are starting to deploy Kubernetes in, in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different types of environments and, and sort of verticals and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, folks, I think with that, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, we covered a lot. Um, like I said, there'll be a lot in the show notes. Um, you know, as always, uh, your feedback is welcome. I know we're going to 
We're going to start hitting on some of the topics that will be uh, covered in KubeCon. Uh, the KubeCon agenda has been uh, released. Uh, a lot of interesting talks that are out there and um, some things for basics and some things for more advanced people. So definitely uh, expect to see us covering some of those topics. Um, the other thing we'd love to get feedback on is we know that the community keeps growing. Uh, we'd love to get your feedback on you know, for us, what's the right balance to help you in terms of net new things? Uh, you know, are you a beginner? Uh, are you just learning about the show? Um, or do you want some more advanced topics and so forth? So always that feedback is welcome to us. And uh, there's no right or wrong answer, but uh, we want to be listening to the community as much as we can. So with that, folks, as always, thank you for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for rating it on iTunes and, and other places. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.